Greetings, you are now listening to the McCuffey Croncast. Stand by for your hosts, Brian Murphy and Doug Bruzzoni. They will be discussing your favorite baseball squadron, the San Francisco Giants. Take it away, Brian and Doug. All right, welcome to the show. Doug, how are you feeling? It's the 50th anniversary of Star Trek and nothing else. There's nothing else to talk about. I feel great about the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Uh, We're going to talk about our favorite Star Trek episodes on this podcast. We're going to say which Voyager episodes are, you know, maybe overlooked because they're Voyager. I think Timeless, you know, Timeless was a good one. I think a lot of people tuned out by then, but it was a solid episode of television. It really was. And it set the stage for the series finale in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you got that. Uh, Let's see. Enterprise had that. uh, Enterprise uh, existed. Enterprise existed. It had that episode that other people liked that I never saw where, like, Archer had memory loss. So that's that's good. Uh, And none of those episodes were about the Giants. That's what they had in common. And that's what made why they were great. great. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you maybe you are a glutton for punishment. Maybe you are a bit of a masochist and you you want to do this. You want to do this. It's the day after the Giants had their annual soul-crushing loss in Colorado. But with a twist, it came two nights after another soul-crushing loss in Colorado. And the Giants are now just struggling to stay above 500. They are now five games out in the division, and they're a half a game up on the Mets for the wild card. So the division's out, and the Giants have 23 games left. They're starting tomorrow. They're about to play 17 games in a row. And they, in order to match last year's win total, just to match last year's win total, they have to win 11 out of their final 23 games. The Giants' record over, like, the same, if you just go back the same amount of time, is is 11 and 23. Or, you know, they're, they they might reach next year or last year's win total if they're lucky. But I don't see how. Um, yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, don't know, I mean, this is the what we're all left with, right? Grant, the beat writers. What's the analysis? What's the takeaway here? Um, yeah, I mean, it. It's something that they should be able to do. Like you can see it um, in in most of their games, where you know from you know you have the offense, you have the starters, and you have the bullpen. Generally, two of those are good, but the other one is so bad that it just cancels it out. Yeah. And it they're a team that should be able to win. Like you can see how they'd be able to win. Even even last night, which was a very bad loss, you could see how they should have won that game. The uh, the first game of the Cubs series, the uh, the last game of the Cubs series, both of those, you can see how they should have won. But they lost all of them because the bullpen just couldn't hold small leads. And the bullpen is otherwise was very good, but just these situations come up and they're bad. Or, you know, the, the starters are good, but the offense just doesn't show up and the bullpen's also good. Well, or... basically since the month... Before last night's game, there was no offense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the offense shows up, and the bullpen's like, well, I guess it's our turn to take the night off. 
And Derek Actually, that's, Lobb, that's not fair. That's not fair. Just to take the ninth inning off, they were good. Besides the ninth inning, Okert was great. Strickland was great. Uh, Lopez Ostich got a big wasn't. Out. Ostich wasn't. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, it just they they keep finding. I wouldn't even call them new ways to lose at this point because they've done all the ways to lose that they can. Yeah, but then you have things like they're leaving the bases loaded, even though there's two outs. You're in Coors Field. You need to add runs. This is a pretty – I mean, they scored five runs for only like five – at least five runs for like the fourth time in the second half. They have not been great offensively just as much as all these other moving parts. You know, bad pitching here, bad relief here. The offense has been pretty bad. Buster Posey is probably hurt. You know, he can't even – you know, they're not hitting home runs. They don't have anyone who can. Uh and you might say, well, they do, but they don't because they're not. <laughs> they're not. I mean, so it's just uh, this is where they're at. The Giants have played 16 series in the second half, and they've won two of them. They've won two series in the entire second half. They've tied three of them. So at best, they've done something positive in fewer than one-third of the series they've played in the second half. They are 17 and 32. They are bad. They're bad. <laughs> I mean, that's, there's nothing, there's no way to shine that any other way. The, you know this, if you've listened to this, if you've followed my feed, you know I'm not a Pollyanna person. I, I don't see where you pull the positivity out of it in the second half. People keep saying the Giants have hit rock, you know, this is rock bottom. This is rock bottom. This is rock bottom. No, they're that's it. They're they're dead. They hit it a while ago. This is like drunk people stumbling by in the middle of the night and peeing on the corpse because they don't see it. That they're done. They're they're done. They're done. They're done. <laughs> yeah. What else um, is there to say? I mean, <laughs> please, Doug. If there's something that you want to add to that. I mean, you you hope that they're not. I mean, we remember 2014 where they were the worst team in baseball for two months, and then they were fine after that. Uh, well, we're, we're about to hit the two-month mark. We're about a week away from hitting the two-month mark in 2016. So maybe after that, they'll just snap out of it. That's yep. what we're left with. But in Historical that one, it precedent. Was, right, but in that one, it was June and July, and they had a chance to recover, and they had a team that was neck and neck with them collapsing worse than they did and this time around that's not happening uh you know the mets basically had their implosion already i guess you could say the pirates were the other were the is the team that's imploding worse than they are but you know the pirates are only now five five games out <laughs> from the giants so i mean i don't know basically they recovered sort of in 2014 they started to recover in august and played well in, in september if we play the two month card, there's there's no time. They just ran out of time, right? If they if they start to play better, which that's not a guarantee, um, because they keep finding ways to lose. <laughs> they, they do. It's uh, we're n- we're not going to go over them individually because we no don't need to. No, that. yeah, they went no. to they went to Chicago, and they'll say that when we did. If you listen to our prediction podcast along before the season started. You know, I was like, oh, the Giants are going to win 57 games and they're not going to ever beat the Cubs. Well, they 
have played the Cubs very tough the entire season in all the matchups, somewhat surprisingly, because the Cubs seem to do fine when they're not playing the Giants. And in a four-game series, the Giants went in there and they were competitive in basically all four games, which is really saying something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was the positive. That was the positive. They they were in all four of those games. And this is going to get to the topic I want to really delve into here, but they were competitive for four games at the beginning of September, and they lost three of those games. They lost the series. What's the moral victory to take away when you've blown a huge lead and now you're just scraping to get by, right? Yeah, I mean, the moral victory would be if then they take the momentum from playing well into the next series, which they didn't. Uh, no. They sh- they they didn't show up the first game. You know, they you can blame it on the holiday, a weird Monday day game if you want, but they just didn't show up. Uh, the offense did nothing, and Matt Moore got rocked, and it just it was unpleasant. Bullpen was good though, so that was that was definitely the game for that. Yeah, I mean, they go to Coors Field and and they don't. It plays basic. They didn't really look like Coursefield didn't seem like it was a huge impact on the proceedings. Say what you want about last night, all you want. It just seemed like oh, the Giants. It was just kind of, these were just kind of like games. Like they got shut out on the Monday game, as though they were playing in San Diego or anywhere that suppresses offense. They didn't hit the ball out of the infield. <laughs> so I don't. Yeah, I mean, what what there are no positives that we can really pull out of this. I'm going to get in right to the next topic. I mean, uh here and that's, you know, Grant wrote about the other day. He wrote a nice article about, you know, we should not be we shouldn't be boobs and calling for the hitting coach to be fired. It's not the hitting coach's fault that the Giants aren't hitting, which sounds kind of funny when you say it that way. But <laughs> But it's the it's the truth, and it may it made me think. Sorry, I just dropped my drink. I'm that angry. <laughs> it just made me think about something that you see pop up online primarily because that's where reasonable people tend to talk about sports. Yes, I know there's all these unreasonable people, but you go to a baseball game, you go to these games in person. You really are like. Have you ever gone to an NFL game and like ran into someone who talks about analytics? No, it's all just the drunk, crazy football fans. You go to a baseball game, you're just going to be there with mostly baseball fans, and you're not going to have, like, the cool rationale of detach, not even ironic detachment, just the analytical detachment that comes with watching baseball sort of at a remove. And so Grant's saying, like, don't blame on the hitting coach. Can you prove anything that shows he's blowing it? You know, Hensley Mullins, Mullins has been the hitting coach when the Giants have had all these all the success, and now that they're not doing well, is it really his fault? Can you really prove it? And and of course not. And I think it's been argued and pointed out that it, it's up to the players to execute, and the coaches have you know they can only do so much. What so I and at least on that point, I'm like 100% with Grant. And it's not a grant point that I then want to focus on. It's this idea of, you know, people will look at the Giants and how players are performing and they'll go, oh, they'll be fine. They're just hitting into bad luck. Or it's just this. Oh, it's it's just small sample size. It's just noise. 
this is like a an it's a good way of emotionally detaching from outcomes but isn't that why we watch sports <laughs> to get emotionally invested in completely arbitrary outcomes that don't matter they don't matter so why get involved why care at all if basically if people are are constantly arguing don't get upset about this. It's just statistical noise. It's random. It's blah, blah, blah. Then why get excited about anything? It means nothing, which we know it means nothing. So the Giants are losing. Who cares why? They're losing. Buster Posey is not good. He's not amazing. He's okay. Hunter Pence is okay. Brandon Belt's bad. You know, oh, but his first half and his weighted runs created plus and all this stuff is like, okay, but he's bad. <laughs> like, they're not winning. What that's so that's kind of the discussion. I'm like, that's where the fandom and the rationale kind of collide in a weird way. You can look at the numbers all you want, but they're losing. Yeah, um, they they are, and that's that's the other thing is that that you see fans assume that a player's I mean, talent level isn't the right way to put it, but maybe expected performance is consistent across the season. Like, there are a lot of Giants fans who we have seen recently complaining that Brandon Bell is hitting too low in the lineup. And he's not. He's been bad. There's something wrong with his swing or something wrong with his head or something wrong with his... He has some nagging injury we don't know about. He has not been right. It's okay to put him down in the lineup. You know, if you want to argue about those things, that's fine. Um, right. If you want to, but to say that the Giants are stupid is is pro for you know not doing what you want is probably not the case. The Giants are stupid because they're the Giants and they're incapable of doing anything right. <laughs> Pathologically incapable, I should say. As is their way. <laughs> As is their way. So I mean, you. I mean, I kind of am getting to a, an even larger point here and that is what happens at the end of this season because the giants are not making the playoffs folks i hate to break it to you they're not and if i'm wrong and they do well i still would like to point out that they've collapsed in the second half at some in some way at some point the last three seasons um and 2014 this is my thesis by the way and laugh all you want they got extremely lucky in 2014, which, hey, you know what? Luck is a huge part of a baseball season. It's so long. It's so ridiculous. And this, this is me with the irrational detachment of like, there's such, this is the degree of unpredictability. Who could have predicted that two of the best teams in the National League would have collapsed historically at the same time and one would manage to recover just barely enough to face off against not Garrett Cole in the wild card playoff game, getting extremely lucky that they didn't have to face him, getting lucky that they faced Matt Williams in the first round, <laughs> and getting lucky that Travis Ishikawa is blessed by a higher power, you know, and getting into the World Series. And, and you know, that was, a, you know, they played a really great team and they, they, who, who started on the Giants? At this point, could you remember besides Madison Bumgarner? Who else started on that team? I think we know intellectually it was Tim Hudson and there was uh, Jake Peavy, Vogelsong. Yeah. That was the ro the rotation. Can you imagine? So there is a degree of luck to that. And that's that's the crapshoot, the randomness of the playoffs, which I'm, I think there's enough evidence to show that that is 
true. We don't know why, but it's there. It's enough to satisfy even the most irrational fan, I feel like. But in terms of like what's happened to the team over the last three years, there is a bit of a pattern here. And I don't know what the reason is for that, but this year it's it, it's probably going to bite him really hard. And I think that that's going to lead to a lot of questions being asked and having to probably be answered a hard way. For example, they're, the Giants are paying a luxury tax this year. For what? You know, they, they did every... The organization emptied... You know, they emptied the chamber to make slightly more than marginal upgrades that they thought they were making slightly more than marginal upgrades to the team hasn't helped. You know, so basically, you know, winning and losing is what it always comes down to, right? Well, they tried and they lost. So now what? And then that's kind of what I'm kind of getting at is like, all right, there is a fairness. There is a degree of um, benefit of the doubt you certainly have to give them. But the Giants are, are thinking they're com- – the, you know, the, how about this? The people who run the team and sign the checks think, oh, we're in this every year. And and now you have to wonder, like, we've, okay, the last two years we've gone even more to try to hold on to that, and it's blown up more spectacularly each year. Now what? So that's why I want, that's why I'm like, maybe that's what's, that's something worth thinking about as we proceed through the rest of this season and into next. Um, I mean, it is. On the other hand, if you go too far down that road, you end up in Billy Beanland. And Billy Bean, remember, destroyed the A's after 2014. And that team hasn't recovered, and they're not going to recover anytime soon. So I wouldn't expect to see wholesale changes for the Giants. Uh, I think that they're going to stick with their guys, and they're going to see what they are, because they should all be better. There's no reason for the team to be this bad other than bad luck. I mean, you can say they collapsed last year, 2015. 2015, everyone on the team was hurt. You know, they had to trade for Marlon Bird and Alejandro de Aza, which if you don't remember that, of course you don't remember that. Why would you remember that? They, they were <laughs> destroyed by injuries last year. Um, and there was some bad planning last year with the, the starting rotation. They made a bad bet on Mike Leake, but it was a different situation than this year. Um, well, and I think that's the thing. It's, you know, was Mike Leak a bad bet or good process that didn't pay off? And is Eduardo Nunez, Matt Moore, and Will Smith all in that same bundle? And again, do we focus on the bad, on the process and say, maybe we need to rethink, you know, as fans or front office, whatever it is, you know, Doug, you and I, we're, we're commenters. We write, we write analysis. We think about things in this way. Do we look at it and go, well, maybe the Giants, maybe we're wrong about the Giants having a good process. Maybe the Giants have to rethink their process. Or do you just look at the last two years of bets not paying off as simply that's gambler's luck? Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And the Giants in their history, the last 20 years, have been incredibly lucky in terms of who they've traded for and who they've traded away. And if the tables have turned in that a little bit, is that really like that big of a surprise? I'm kind of playing both sides of the argument here because it's interesting to think about. <laughs> it's better than thinking about Santiago Casilla blowing another damn save. <laughs> Santiago Casilla, by the way, 
even Bruce Boshi has to take him out from the closer role, right? At this point, I I almost went back, but because I don't like listening to my voice, I almost went back to when we talked about how long does Casilla remain the closer. But I think Derek Lee or Derek Leak, Derek Law, uh, <laughs> getting hurt certainly impacts that a little bit. Um, but I would say, yeah, he's got to go. And and uh, Mike Kruko on the post game for last night's game, he said. Uh, Casillas best pitch is his curveball doesn't work in Coors Field his second best pitch is his slider doesn't work in Coors Field and it doesn't work in a place like Arizona so maybe Casilla is your sea level closer <laughs> <laughs> forgetting like, that he's like a line painted as just all around the country when you hit a yeah. certain elevation <laughs> he's gone he's, well, he's a fifth inning sixth inning guy and so then I guess if he's below sea level, like San San Diego or something, he's a balk-off closer. So that's bad, too. So this would be like the perfect <laughs> conditions for Casilla to close. Um, I maintain that that balk-off was the turning point of the season. I, there's, I mean, the, at this point, <laughs> it looks like it. Because there's also I, many other nominees for this. <laughs> um, I mean, it could just be the whole sweep in San Diego. Because Bumgarner, Bumgarner came out flat, uh, and then there was the Bach off, and then some other shitty game nobody remembers, but sucked. Samarja probably gave up like four homers. Uh, or yeah, I think it was Samarja. I would assume, and you yeah. know the Giants. But Samar, you know, Samarja's turned it around a little bit, and Cueto stabilized, and Bumgarner stabilized. You know, Suarez has had back to back decent starts for what they need him to be. Um, you know, Joe Nathan is now on the roster. If you didn't know, <laughs> and, you know, that's how desperate the giants are. Joe Nathan is back in the major leagues and uh, he's pitching and he was one of the culprits in last night's game. Uh, Angel Pagan having to play in the outfield of Coors Field was also another one. Um, you know, it's basically every flaw that the giants have, has been exposed to the the you know wedgie the mega wedgie being tied to the flagpole like super serious pranking of those weaknesses uh this year and maybe it's been a long time coming that the giants have gotten by with you know a lot of bubble gum and duct tape holding certain elements of the team together and maybe it's just this is the year where it's like oh you've got a bunch of slap hitters and you want to keep the line moving I'm going to make sure it's all weak contact so it doesn't matter. Or, you know, it's, oh, your your outfield defense has su- you've somehow survived this way. Well, now it's going to backfire on you. Or, you know, maybe it's just this is the year where all the things that you kind of have always thought would be the Giants undoing, maybe it's just all the perfect storm that's happening this year. And I feel like it's hard to gauge what the Giants' true talent level is going forward based on this team's been together for so long and I don't know. I don't know if, if who's getting older, who's regressing negatively because of age and what's luck. And I think that's the baseball is hard to not only play, but watch and make sense of it. It just doesn't. So I don't know. Want to pick some players, Doug, or do you have something else to add to that? <laughs> uh, God, what players would even pick? <laughs> yeah. I guess well, let's Bumgarner. try to pick a Bumgarner. All right. Uh, I I feel like I just want to pick players from other teams. I don't really feel like picking Giants. 
I mean, there's nothing really, there's nothing. It, I mean, I could go down the roster and, and be like, I don't see anything exciting about any of, I don't think anyone's doing well. So, I mean, uh, Bumgarner's been good. I, we, we can overlook that. Samarja's been, been t- turning it around, you know. He threw like 50 pitches in the first inning in the, that first game in Chicago, but it didn't seem to have adverse effects on him other than he didn't win the game because the bullpen had to pitch so many innings. Right. But they'd have found some other way to lose. So really, who cares? Uh, I'm going to say Gorky's Hernandez then. Yeah, he had a good game last night. Yeah. Uh, he he plays with a little bit of energy, a little bit of life. <laughs> uh, that's about it. The game of the week, I mean, at this point, I'm not even watching these games caring about the outcome other than seeing how the Giants lose. And <laughs> so I, you know, I would say that last night was the game of the week because it was it was exquisite. It was it was pretty perfect, I think. Um I don't know. I kind of, you know, as soon as Osich hit the guy, I sort of had this this very very passive deadening feeling come over me, which isn't isn't fun. So I, I prefer the wins. So probably uh, probably the other game in Coors. I wasn't able to watch the win in uh, in Wrigley. So so Tuesday the sixth. Um, well, and see that that game was interesting because I was thinking the Giants were going to lose that one too. But the Rockies committed a couple of really big errors that allowed the Giants to win the game. And then I think that they were discouraged. I think the Rockies are just so used to like losing all the time that they thought the game was over. But if they hadn't thought that, I think they would have still gone on to win. But uh, yeah, that's, I don't know. I feel like last night's game was the best game and the worst game <laughs> because it was, it was the, the best Giants game. Yeah. And it was the most, most Giants in Coors Field game. And, uh, and it was the worst because, you know, Bochi used six pitchers and got four outs. <laughs> so, yeah. So it, I, it was the I, worst I because you all watched it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And people and I uh, spent time watching. That's been the other part, too. This is another thing about it is like if I if we don't care so much, does it mean I mean, is the best way not to care so much? not to get lost in the numbers and rely on BABIP and whatever else people do to be like, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Everything's fine. Don't make a big deal out of losing. Is that how they deal with it? And they, or they don't watch. <laughs> Cause it seems to me that the, the smarter play is actually not watching the game. <laughs> yeah. I because when you come up with, Oh, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it is approaching the point where you watch a game and you think, why am I doing this? Just what's the reason? What What's the benefit from watching this game? And, you know, I it's hard to think of them at, right now because they're, they're not fun. They're not enjoyable. They're not really anything. They're just some, some crap team playing like a crap team. Yeah, they really are playing like a bad team. There's there's no two ways about it. I, I think I brought this up on last week's show. I feel like what it's what's missing the most this year besides talent is um sort of that where's you know, the Tim Hudson, the the Michael Morris, the you know, just the guy who's like I've been around and I, I really want to win for once. 
I mean, I guess maybe that's Joe Nathan, but that feels a little bit more like the Marlon Bird play. Um, it doesn't quite strike me. You know, they. I think, I don't know what that does for chemistry, but, you know, at this point, Hunter Pence, I think it's a tired act. The fact that the fans have still enjoyed it, even up to like 2014 or 2015, was pretty silly. But, you know, Hunter Pence giving a fiery speech, it's like, it's just a shtick. It's tired. The the players aren't going to respond to it, whatever. You know, and then the other guys are hurt or they're quiet or whatever. So, again, this is another thing where, like, the coolly detached people will be like, we don't know what a fiery clubhouse presence does, what effect that has on the team. Well, at this point, we know the Giants don't have it. So, <laughs> and one of those situations is like, well, what if they did have it? Would that matter at all? Maybe because nothing else seems to be working. Um, and so I wonder if, if that's something that that factors in next year. But then I also wonder if Bruce Bochy is going to be around next year because I feel like the real questions are going to be asked if the season ends as it's been for the last almost two months now. You know, if September they never get it together, let's say, you know, why, you know, Bochy's had this heart issue. Why would you want to deal with another year of that? I don't know. <laughs> I think he likes it. Uh, I'm going to pick my player of the week as uh, Nolan Arenado. You're a motherfucker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm going to give an honorable mention to um, uh, Ben Zobrist because... He has a funny batting stance. <laughs> um, I'm going to say my other player of the week besides Baumgartner is Ioannis Cespedes because he's just fun. Who doesn't he is. Cespedes? And it'll be fun to cheer for his Mets when they knock the Giants out of the second wild card. I mean, let, let's be honest. It's the Giants knocking the Giants out of the second wild card. That's true. That's a great point. <laughs> that's an excellent point uh we'll end the giants talk then now we're gonna take your twitter questions now <laughs> we have twitter questions right we have twitter questions it is a good week for twitter questions excellent um so the first one comes from zach Baum. he said the giants have been the least exciting team in baseball for five years who are the constant professional all-stars uh then he asked if that made any sense i think i understand what he was saying <laughs> uh I wouldn't say they've been the least exciting team in baseball for five years. They were very exciting in 2012. They were the they were Yan- pretty exciting the, even in 2014. Yeah, the Yankees are, and the oh, Yankees God. are pretty consistently the the least exciting team in baseball. And for as good as they are, the Red Sox too. Those long at bats are just those like long games. Yeah, with they, long at bats. They're boring. Yeah, yeah, they are boring. And the Red Sox are at least entertaining off the field. Right. But yeah, the Yankees. Uh, yeah. The Yankees are the least exciting team in baseball. Also, the Yankees want to be the least exciting. That's their organizational philosophy. They just want to win in that cold, Borg-like way. Right. Which is great. It's a great dovetail with the Star Trek stuff. I'm really excited about that. All right, what's next? Uh, next- <laughs> well, hey, on. I want to actually talk about the exciting Giants. This is what I'm saying. Like, in 2014, you know, Michael Morris was down in the Giants – you know, scuff a little bit. And then he came back just in time in the postseason, right? Yeah. Um, he had a big home run. He was like, he was a goofy guy to have from the very beginning. 
And it was it was one of those things where it's like, okay, high risk, high reward. And it was a gamble that paid off. It's exactly what they needed in terms of power. And in terms of personality, it worked out very well. Uh, it was a lot of fun. In 2012, um, Pence coming over, that was, a big, that was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, people, uh, people forget that Pence wasn't good for the Giants in 2012. He, uh, he came over and he couldn't hit. Like, he, right. he had a lot of problems. But yeah. he, he made up for it with his, you know, fiery speeches and everything. And so everyone right. loved him. Right. Uh, in 2010, it was, you know, Pat Burrell. I mean, sure. that was the move. Yeah. That, that really fired him into the stratosphere there. Aubrey Huff kind of carried him through the first month or two. And then Burrell came in and then that they took off. Juan Uribe was around the whole time. And he was, you know, it was just all that energy. I was so hoping the Giants would get Juan Uribe back. <laughs> Uh, just for that spark. So, but the Giants have been fun. Yeah, they have. Just not this year. No, or last year, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. N- next question. Uh, Sad. Would you rather watch? Oh, this comes from Drew Bader at Drew Bader. Drew underscore Bader. Would you rather? I mean, he, he doesn't say would you rather watch, but that's clearly the thrust of the question. Six <laughs> consecutive hours of CNN. Or a 22-inning Giants-Dodgers game with Chase Utley beating the Giants on a walk-off homer. And I think just to make it equal in the spirit of the question, we should say that that 22-inning game would also take six hours. Um, I would still watch that over CNN. Are you kidding? I, I wouldn't. I would watch CNN because at least the outrage would make me feel something. <laughs> No, I'm still watching baseball <laughs> over CNN. <laughs> uh, CNN is just total garbage. Cable news is pretty much all trash. So I just don't. No, I mean I don't. I don't watch don't it. Respond. But given the choice between that and you know a 22 inning monstrosity of a game, look, Chase Utley's going to beat the Giants at some point this year. <laughs> I think he already has. Doesn't also. Also, oh, sure. But also one of those things where if a baseball game goes past a certain point in time and it's like the only game on, then Twitter becomes really cool. Oh, that's when right. All the other baseball Twitters merge into this one game. That Angels A's game that went like 18 innings what was that three years ago, four years ago now, or maybe it was three years ago. Uh, that's still a pretty impressive uh, moment. I know we hate talking about the A's here, and that's fine. But that was a game where I believe Brett Anderson was scheduled to start, but then he was injured, and so he didn't start. And the game went so long that they went. He went. Ah, let me see what I can do. And he wound up pitching in relief. So, <laughs> uh, and I think that was also a game where um, one of the other A's relievers tweeted during the game, and he was like. <laughs> Please send water. We have been trapped here for... <laughs> Please send food and water. We have been stuck here for several hours. Anyway, it's a great communal experience. And I feel like the only drawback I see for that is Molly Knight just with her very specific brand of trolling and gloating, which I'm not happy about. But Giants fans, we have to be prepared for this. The Dodgers are going to be good until we die. <laughs> And so if the Giants falter, you're going to have these – it's, you know, the Giants have to be as good as the Dodgers every year. Otherwise, you're going to get the smug, how you doing? How's it going down there? 
what's going on? How come you guys keep losing? We're going to have to just endure it. it. That's just the way it is. The, the Dodgers are going to be good forever until you die. So just get used to that. That's all I can say. Next question. Next question uh, comes from Lisey Shower at, at Lightning Burr. Uh, it is MFK, which we were going to say is uh, what Mary Date Ditch is what that stands for. Trust me, the yeah. letters line up. Crook, uh, yeah. Kipe, and John Miller. <laughs> uh, well, I think you uh, you date Kuiper because he seems like he's got a kinky side to him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I I think you uh, you marry John Miller for the storytelling. Yeah, I mean I I think so because John John Miller just seems like the most relentlessly fun to have around. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important. And, you know, I, I, I love Kruko, but at the same time, it wouldn't you rather have Kype? Like, I, I think so. I think so. So, yeah, I think that's the right answer. Also, I didn't, I wouldn't want to hear Kruk's excuses for when things go bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? Why is the dishwasher still unloaded? Can I ask you that two days ago? Well, uh, you know, that's a, a yeah. hammy. I, it was tough for me to get off the couch. I'll. Uh... <laughs> that's a sea level dishwasher. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> the weather's not right? <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Remember the like the last bad Jeff Smarja start he had, but he was okay for like a few innings. And you mentioned this. They were they were shining that turd. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he was just he was that close. Yeah. Oh, it was just if you just if you had had another minute, <laughs> figured it out. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was a good question because I I feel like it's good to challenge the gender norms. It is you. They thought we might not answer that question. Well, they were wrong. <laughs> totally wrong. <laughs> Uh, okay, next question from Joshua Holdridge at JoshHold01. Is it too late for the butt-ass Giants to slip into the playoffs and hope for even your bullshittery? Technically, no. I think that's the only answer that needs. Technically, no. Yes. <laughs> well, that's a, what, a Stephen Colbert line? Well, it's technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, ne- yes. Next question. Grant wrote about that yesterday. Yeah, that's right. That the Giants are still in it. Giants are still in it. The uh, there's a Jesse Specter article yesterday too that the Giants still had you know before yesterday's loss, like a 78 percent chance of making the playoffs or something. Or maybe that was Grant. Or, well, they control their own destiny, which is part of the problem. Right. They really need to put it in someone else's hands. They really need to just rely on the Mets yeah. being the Mets. That's probably yeah, the chance. They've really, they've really like Munchausen by proxy this season or like drowned their baby in a bathtub or something horrific, but they're doing it to themselves. Yeah. No, nobody else has the right to do this to them. So that's the important thing. Pride. <laughs> uh, next question from Steve Svensson at Svensson19. Your thoughts on reducing the number of call-ups in September to 30-ish? compromise of the 26 man roster for previous months 
I mean, yeah. it would save us from all this bochy shit that's going on right now where there are 40 relievers in every game. Yeah. I think uh, someone like Bobby Valentine or someone on MLB Network a couple of years ago, and maybe they trot this out every year in August or whatever, basically do the 40-man, but you have to say before each game, like you can only have 30 active every game. So you have to declare your active 30 players each game. And I feel like that would be a better move for September because then you can just wipe those other starters out of the game. You know, you can wipe yesterday's starter out, you know, and and have a spot that way. Or, you know, if you're not going to use all your starters, you can have other players on. And then I I don't know about the 26th man for the regular season because I'm sick of relievers. Right. Yeah, because it would – well, it probably wouldn't be another reliever. That's the thing. They would have the 13-man bullpen. No, they'd have the 13-man bullpen, and and they'd have that fifth outfielder that they don't let themselves have. No, they would not. I, I am actually very firmly in agreement here with Joe Sheehan, and that is, you know, the, every manager will just use it to get another pitcher. You know, they'll have one extra loogie. You know what I mean? They'll ju- they'll just find someone. We'll have one more guy like that. They will not use it for offense. They just won't. <laughs> There's no evidence to suggest otherwise. Um, but it's an interesting thing because if I'm I'm against the kind of weird limitations like. You know, uh, if a reliever comes into the game, he has to face two hitters or whatever it is. I feel like it gets into this weird slippery slope where baseball starts becoming overly technical. And I don't know, which seems funny because from the outside, it seems like a very technical game, I would guess. (laughs) But, uh, you know, procedurally, it just seems like I get it. You don't want to have limit time for all these pitching changes. But, you know, all of this is in service of commercial time. So in terms of fairness... In a game, I feel like something like UK, you can expand the rosters to 40. You can have 32 active per game or something like that. That seems like a reasonable compromise to these complaints. Because not every team calls up all 40, right? Right. So, um, yeah. So that's that's our thoughts on that. And the <laughs> final question from Logan Dobson, at Logan Dobson, is Ryan Garko the impact bat we need to make a wild card run? <laughs> Well, he wasn't then, but since this is the Giants, that probably means he's ready now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so bring the Gark back. <laughs> I grok Gark. <laughs> uh, and for those who don't remember, in 2009, the Giants scored a total of 28 runs in 162 games. And near the trade deadline, they thought the keys to improving the offense was um, Orlando Cabrera, who was by that time 63. Orlando Cabrera was 2011. Oh, he was 2011. Thank you. Yeah. So t- 2009, they made two big deals, though. It was Ryan Garko. And now i got to look up the other one. Freddie Thank Sanchez. You. I'm, not, I'm not editing it. I'm not, I'm not uh, making Oh, Freddie Sanchez. There we go. He <laughs> wound up being the key there. Um, uh, Freddie Sanchez, who was hurt and just immediately was hurt. hurt. <laughs> they traded for a hurt player. In any case, uh, Ryan Garko is a big, hulking first baseman. The Giants needed a, a power-hitting first baseman. They didn't learn their lesson from Shea Hillenbrand. 
And so Ryan Garko was not very good when he was with the Giants in 2009. And not surprisingly, despite being in the playoff hunt in September, they faded down the stretch because they couldn't score runs. (laughs) Oh, how things have changed. Yes. 2009, 2010, 2011, historic pitching. I would say even 2010, not that great of offense. (laughs) But uh, they kind of found enough of it uh, in 2010. And then 2011, it was kind of right back to where they started. Um, And since then, they've been much better offensively and not as great pitching-wise, which has been much more the Giants' history. Uh, Any more questions? I think that's it. All right. Well, that's a great segue. Talking about Giants' history is something that's much more important to me and Doug right now. (laughs) Absolutely. And that is, today is the 50th anniversary of the debut of Star Trek. Which is a, which is better than Star Wars, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, Star Trek debuted this day in 1966. The first episode to air on NBC was The Man Trap, which was not a great example of the show <laughs> to to debut. It was a uh, it was an episode about a salt monster. Literally, a a woman would prey on men and suck the salt out of their bodies and kill them that way. And I think I think it was like an ex-girlfriend of Dr. McCoy's. So that was how Star Trek premiered. <laughs> but it's had a if you don't know anything about Star Trek or if you only know it from the movies, um, it's it's uh, it's not it didn't start out as this like totally optimistic story about the future. It was simply like the future was this amazing place. It was simply like we've kind of worked out our problems and we are excited about the unknown instead of afraid of it and that was sort of like the thing that made it stand out was that captain kirk ran towards danger kind of with a smile on his face because he wanted to see what all the trouble was anyone if there are any aliens right um but if you watch the show if you go back and watch he's he's not truly a womanizer he's a flirt (laughs) and he's kind of he's pretty charming and you know, half the time he's kind of sleeping his way out of danger instead of punching his way out of danger, which is the other half. But <laughs> but uh, in any case, I love Star Trek. It's fantastic uh, since I was younger. I thought for this game, I'll give you a minute to talk about Star Trek if you have something important to say, Doug. And then, uh, uh, But otherwise, the game is this. 50 years of Star Trek history. Let's tie it into 50 years of Giants history. Let's pick our captains. Let's pick our enterprise. You know, so is Bruce Bochy your Captain Kirk or is he your Captain Picard? You know, let's do that. Let's mix and match and let's have a little fun with it. All right. All right. Let's do it. Um, well, do we, do we need to pick in any sort of order? I don't think so. And I think we can cover 50 years of Star Trek history, which includes spinoffs of Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise... <laughs> uh, and I don't think we need to talk about the spin-off movies. It's the same characters. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, well, I'd say uh, Picard was probably Roger Craig. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a thinker. He, you know, he would outthink guys. You, uh, I just said that basically twice because that's the definition of a thinker. But hey, who cares? <laughs> this, this is Star Trek. It's never been subtle. That's right. And it repeats ideas sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, he seems like the most, uh, the Picard and Craig seem like a good, a good match. You know, they both went on forever. They were with the captain when they were a little bit up there in years, as opposed to the rest of them. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Roger Craig just seemed old back in the eighties, but he was really, no, he was old. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, but yeah, I feel like you're missing another big comparison point here. I'm, I'm totally on board with this. Besides that they both kind of look the same, <laughs> old in the same way, I feel like that's where you're kind of yeah. thinking a little bit. But you're missing a very important point. Both of them had a catchphrase. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so Roger Craig's is hum baby, and uh, Captain Picard's is make it so. Yeah. So there we go. This is a perfect comparison. <laughs> I'm on board. All right. So I got to ask then, what's the Enterprise? Is it Candlestick? Is it AT&T Park? Uh, I'll throw another wrinkle in here. Is it Petco Park? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, the Enterprise is where they, that's where the crew resided. What? But no, oh, every, no, there's Petco a bunch Park. Of Petco Park is clearly the Defiant. It's their home <laughs> away from home. It's their home away from home. Okay, all right. Um, I'm not, you can look it up, folks, if you don't know what the USS <laughs> Defiant is. Just to USS Defiant, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, yeah, okay. All right, I like that. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, like the Polo Grounds, that wasn't... <laughs> we, were, we weren't alive then. We're not alive then. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess if we were doing it by era, then, then Candlestick is the Enterprise, really, for the original. But, I, you know, I feel like AT&T Park it- is the Enterprise. It, it's it's the AT&T Park because the Enterprise is cool and Candlestick sucked. Yeah. Like, yeah. we loved Candlestick yeah. because it was ours, but it also sucked. I'm trying to think of a ship in the Star Trek universe that would be the closest comparison to um, to the to Candlestick Park, and I can't... Maybe, the maybe like, the Enterprise C, the broke-ass Enterprise C, after it had been attacked <laughs> by Klingons in the 24th century. <laughs> like, it had just gone through two maybe. battles... And it was like 80 years out of date, even though it was only four like, years old. <laughs> or like the USS Reliant. No, that ship kind of looked kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've got two possibilities. And plus, the, the candlestick still gets to be an Enterprise. I, that's why I like it. They still get something. Oh, okay. All right. So they're the Enterprise. Yeah. Which Enterprise's candlestick park is probably better? It's the Enterprise C. Okay. All right. I'll go with that. That would make the polo grounds. That would make the. By the way, yeah, that would. Uh, that was from the episode yesterday's Enterprise on Star Trek: The Next Generation, which uh, if you listen to the Nerdist podcast, which you shouldn't until you listen to all of ours. Um, Quentin Tarantino said it's his favorite Star Trek episode, and if he was ever to make a Star Trek movie, which he would rather do than make a Star Wars movie, he would adapt yesterday's Enterprise as the Star Trek feature, which I thought was interesting. Uh, I'm gonna say Polo Grounds is the Excel is the Enterprise B. Oh, I like that. So there, everything got delivered right. on Tuesday. That's right. Which means that the next futuristic stadium is the Enterprise D or E, however you want to slice it. <laughs> uh, um, I, I guess just bouncing back and forth, like we've got our Picard, but who would be our Captain Kirk? That's the big one. Or, no, no, no. Let's hold off. Who would be Spock? Oh. Spock is famous. Everyone knows who Spock is. Spock is famous. Uh, yeah. Would that be Bochi? Like, is he logical enough for that? He he seems like 
I mean, if you just listen to his voice, he certainly is very close to a Vulcan sounding voice. Yeah. He he does not display emotions. So he does not. No. And when he does, it's more of like that is highly illogical. <laughs> <laughs> So Boji, okay, all right. I think I can I can go with Boji as Spock. Um, <laughs> that's funny to think about in a lot of ways. I really hope someone photoshops Spock's bowl cut and pointed ears onto Bruce Boji. I'm surprised it hasn't been done yet. Uh, I was trying to think, you know, there's been so many famous managers in Giants history or even players, like, who would fit in there. Um, you know, Buster Posey seems pretty emotionless. Most of the time. That's true. He does. But he's he's also a brilliant light beam of light. So I don't know. He he's he's more like V'ger post merging. <laughs> <laughs> uh that is the quote unquote villain from Star Trek the Motion Picture folks, V'ger. So <laughs> you'll have to look that up. <laughs> Yeah, because like you go back through Giants history and and um you know, John McGraw, he's 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 fiery. Yeah. Oh, he is. Or he's really sharp. I mean, he's a lot more Captain Kirk in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. Oh, no, I know who Captain Kirk is. We're it's Willie Mays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's it. Like just too much just too much of everything to be a real person. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I don't know, Cisco is Willie McCovey? Um, could be Bonds. I gotta, I'm, I'm, Are you saving Bonds? Oh, that's, that's a good one. No, I think Bonds would probably be up there. I was trying to think, I think I was thinking more like, because McCovey is so much more like the San Francisco Giants. Yeah. And, you know, Maze, and, and for whatever reason, like Cisco, you know, if you like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, you probably like it more than the other shows. <laughs> and that's, that's a, that's a minority of Star Trek fans who prefer Deep Space Nine to the other ones. I mean, it's a, it's probably the third most popular of the Star Trek shows, which is kind of ridiculous to say how many Star Trek shows there have been, let's be honest here. But. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no bonds. Bonds would be bonds would probably be up there. And why not? Cisco's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, bonds is godlike, and Cisco is a god. So there we go. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that, that that's uh, that's great. Yeah, there it is. And you could also say that Commander Cisco taking so long before he was captain is sort of like bonds in the Hall of Fame. It's just going to take some time. Yeah. And then when it happens, you're going to be like, oh, it makes total sense. It should happen a long time ago. This is stupid. <laughs> and he was dominant in San Diego. So this is great. <laughs> and because he was so good at, at uh, Qualcomm, they had to build Petco to stop him. Cisco built the Defiant. <laughs> so, so, yeah, man, I'm tripping out on these Star Trek ties. Really parallels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we really love Star Trek, folks. It's, it's true. <laughs> I'll give you the final word here on Star Trek. What is uh what's your biggest takeaway? Why do you like it so much? You know, I, I like seeing I, I like seeing people who, you know, care about problems solve them in like ways that don't involve killing things all the time. 
they try to avoid killing things. I'm trying to think which episode it was of the original series where Kirk chose not to go to war. Uh, it was uh, Tholian Web. There was one where, where he refused to attack someone, and that was sort of the crux of the episode. Well, there are several of those episodes. Even in Arena, he refused to kill the Gorn when he had the opportunity. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking of, where he just he wouldn't because he wasn't an inherently warlike person. And I appreciate that as sort of a vision of what you can be. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's really, really touching. Uh, and there is actually a, a pretty famous... And the thing is, I mean, I I think we all like stories for the characters. That's always what makes it work. But the way that you mentioned it is like you like the way they tell their stories. That's what struck you the most. They were clever in a lot of... It's clever in a lot of interesting ways. To go back to the original series, there's an episode called Devil in the Dark. And there's this creature that's going around and killing all these miners. Miners, not little kids, but <laughs> people <laughs> like in a mine. They're, they're, yeah, they're mining. Uh, 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 I can't remember the name of Pergeum. There we go. They're mining an element called Pergeum. Um, and it turns out this creature that's killing them is actually trying to protect its young that these miners have been killing. Uh, her eggs they've been destroying their her eggs because she's a silicon based life form and so they just thought it was rock and silicon and get clearing the way and so you know kirk and spock attack it because it's attacking them and then they don't kill it they just hurt it and then spock minds mind melds with it and and the creature is saying please don't kill me and so they all once they realize what's going on everyone goes into helping the creature and stopping the killing and understanding what's going on. And it's, uh, I feel like that's the biggest message for Star Trek. Like you said, not shooting and attacking things, but finding a way to communicate, finding a way to, to, to see things from a, in a different way from somebody else's perspective is sort of another takeaway, which you don't see a lot in any kind of fiction, really. It's, it's a rare thing. And it's, I think it's a really great thing. Yeah. What's not a great thing? The San Francisco Giants. I'll leave us. Let's leave with this note. The Giants are 0 and 55 when trailing after eight innings. Last night was their sixth loss. They are 60 and 6 when leading after eight innings. So that's an interesting thought. And as Grant pointed out a while ago, the Giants have no ninth inning comebacks this year. So, with that said, Doug. Where can they find you online? I'm on Twitter, at MoonwalkMcFly. I'm on McCovey Chronicles also. Uh, I'm at every sixth day, and I'm on McCovey Chronicles occasionally. <laughs> but I am definitely reading the comments on these posts. So if you're interested in commenting and telling us where we're wrong, even though we're not, go ahead and leave comments below. And if you do mind up Photoshopping Spock and Bochi, it'd be great to see it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week where we'll do a post-mortem on the Giants' bad week. <clears throat> Good night. Good night. <laughs>